I've been, um, I guess, in the the habit of preaching uh, from one of the Psalms on the last Sunday, and I'm going to continue that practice. However, as uh, we had Donnie Fredrickson here last week, I thought I should. I, I really wanted to get back to Luke and keep the momentum there. So um, we are continuing with Luke. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I ask that you would bless not only the reading, but also the proclamation of your word. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts might be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So let me ask you this question. What would you choose to be in life? Would you choose to be poor, hungry, sad, and unpopular? Or would you choose rather to be rich, satisfied, happy, and popular? Uh, To his disciples... Or Jesus is speaking here, rather, to his disciples. Uh, And he is telling them this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is the attitude toward life that the Lord blesses. This is the attitude toward life that the world utterly rejects. Verse 17 says... Um, that he came, um, and this is the, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, the Sermon on the Plain, the sermon, uh, what I tongue-in-cheek call the Sermon on the Level. But going down to verse 20, he's speaking to his disciples. says, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. And he said, blessed are you who are poor, For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Poverty. Hunger. um, The sadness and mourning and unpopularity. Rejection. Jesus says he blesses these things. Verses 24 through 26 that the opposite of these things brings his judgment. But woe to you, verse 24, who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. And so there's, there's this attitude to life that, that Christ promises to bless. 
And then there's this attitude to life that the world utterly rejects and that God condemns. These people to whom Jesus says, Woe to you! These are the very people that the world admires, that the world praises and seeks to imitate. This is an alarming teaching here in this passage. And I hope that you will search your own heart this morning and be willing to align your attitudes and goals in life with the attitudes and goals that Christ promises to bless. What is Jesus saying here? Because this is a surprising teaching. Well, what Jesus is doing here is he's mocking the world's values. What the world finds unattractive and appealing, poverty, hunger, sorrow, uh, rejection, Christ says that this is what he promises to bless. Uh, Jesus is calling us here in this passage to have an eternal perspective on life. I think that's the central teaching here. Because he says uh, in verse 20 that blessed are you who are poor for yours, and we could add in the world presently, for yours presently is the kingdom of God. If you're poor, you presently possess the kingdom of God. Um, If you hunger, you'll have future satisfaction, verse 21. If you mourn, you'll have future laughter, again, verse 21. And then in verse 23, he said, you will, if you are persecuted, you will have reward. And not just reward, but great reward in heaven, in the future. And so he is purposely uh, drawing this contrast between present struggle and future reward and blessedness. So a true disciple of Jesus Christ, I think here's the subtext, a true disciple of Jesus Christ will live with an eternal perspective. You know, the world, the world lives for the present. They seek riches. They seek satisfaction. They seek happiness and popularity here in this life. The world lives for the weekend, for the party, for the possessions, for the recognition, for the 401k, for the money, for the passing pleasures. The world lives for this life, for the here and now, for the things that will not last. The world is driven by worldly ambitions. And so the world lays up for themselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Their heart is directed toward the things of this life because it is the things of this life that their heart desires and loves above all else. But a disciple of Jesus Christ lives for the long view, lives for eternity. Disciples of Jesus Christ view themselves small in comparison with the, with the kingdom of God and the matters concerning the kingdom of God. 
You know, we live our lives. We give ourselves for the kingdom of God to grow. We give our money for the kingdom of God to grow. We give our time, our talents. We give our our energy for the kingdom of God to grow. Because we're followers, disciples of Jesus Christ. Disciples of Jesus Christ seek things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Our priority is on things above, not on earthly things. Therefore, the apostle says, and we echo him, that we we consider our present sufferings, whether it be poverty or or hunger or sorrow uh, or rejection, persecution, we consider our present sufferings to be not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. We take the long view because we know that we are at home, while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So we strive, we make it our aim to please God, to walk by faith, not by sight. We lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven because, frankly, that's where our treasure is. That's where our Lord is. We long to be with Him. And we know that our future will be eternity with Him forever and ever and ever. If you are living for, your, for, for this life, I want to ask you, what are your ultimate goals you read, you, you watch the TV uh, during the, the commercial breaks, during the football games, you know, and you would think that all of America, um, their ultimate goal is to live for the weekend parties. Isaiah 5.22, woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. People actually fancy themselves heroes because they can hold their liquor. That's their life's ambition, so it would seem. How shallow, how, what a waste of life if that is a person's um, greatest ambition. You know, if, if you're living for this life, what are your ultimate goals? Is it the full bank account? The stable job, the growing 401k. Is it recognition and approval? What is lasting? What is worth your ultimate devotion here in this life? You say, well, my spouse and children. And I would say, I know from my experience, I am better able to love my wife and my children, because I am continually learning to die to myself as I live for Christ. My wife and my children are more blessed because of my faith in Jesus Christ. And I am a blessed man because my wife loves the Lord Jesus more than she loves me. And she sacrifices herself when she's tempted to want to go her way. She thinks, how can I please my husband? And I think, how can I please my wife? And there's a blessedness there. 
because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Because our ultimate goal is not our own happiness or our marital bliss. It's God's glory. And then we are able to experience that bliss that we would otherwise miss if we were only living for ourselves. If you're living for this life, again, what are your ultimate goals? Or let me ask this. What if you were to achieve every goal that you have set for yourself? What if you were experiencing every passing pleasure? What if you are able to gratify every desire? What have you gained? What have you gained? What does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What are you doing with your life? Do you understand, if you are only living for this life, do you understand what is at stake? I want to quickly go over these uh, four Beatitudes uh, in verses 20 through 23. Uh, These Beatitudes in Luke... Um, let me just say this. This is not Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew. Luke is not editing down the Sermon on the Mount. Rather, this is a completely different sermon. Uh, again, verse 17, Jesus preached this sermon in Luke on a level place, on a plain. The Sermon on the Mount, where, it was, where was it preached? On a mount, on a mountain, right? Two different sermons. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount has nine Beatitudes. Luke's account only has four. So it's two different sermons, but um, Jesus is basically saying the same thing. It's kind of like, you know, if you're an itinerant preacher... You preach uh, in one place, and since another group hasn't heard you, and it was important enough to preach the first time, you preach it the second time, or at least preach the same themes. One of my friends, uh, to go on a little tangent here, was wanting to hear R.C. Sproul preach uh, in person so badly. And so while he was in seminary, R.C. Sproul came and he preached in the chapel. And he was so glad, and he benefited from it so much. And then a couple of years later, he heard that R.C. Sproul was going to be up in the town where he was preaching. And so he went uh, to go see R.C. preach. R.C. preached the same sermon he had preached in chapel. And so he, he, he thought, well, I really would like to hear him preach another sermon And uh, another opportunity came to hear R.C., and he drove a couple hours, went to hear him. Same exact sermon, three times in a row. And so here's the Lord Jesus. He's preaching to his disciples. This is actually, this sermon, the night before, he had chosen his 12 disciples. And he's coming, and he, this is the first sermon that he is preaching directly to his disciples. And the disciples are not only the twelve, but there's a larger group of disciples. And then there are people who are not his disciples yet, but are interested, curious, coming from about 35 miles around to come to hear him preach. And so there's these three groups of people here in verse 17, but he's specifically preaching 
to his disciples. And there are these differences in the Beatitudes between Matthew's Sermon on the Mount and these four Beatitudes. For instance, in Matthew, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, in Luke, blessed are you, and he personalizes it, when you are poor. Or again, in Matthew, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Here, uh, blessed are you when you hunger. But I believe that in essence, this is the same idea here. I believe the Sermon on the Mount helps us understand Luke's Beatitudes. And I think that Jesus leaves off the, the other part, the uh, thirst for righteousness or the in, poor in spirit. I think he leaves these off. And I think he, uh, well, I know he leaves them off. And I think he does it for effect. You know how Jesus will say, Take your, your uh, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. If your arm or your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Well, I don't see too many blind people here. I don't see too many people with, with nubs at the end of their arms. We're not taking that literally, but boy, it hits us right in the solar plexus. This is serious if you are sinning with what you're looking at. It is serious if your hand causes you to sin. And so I think Jesus is, you, is saying for effect here, um, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who hunger. Blessed are you who mourn. One of the things that I think people have misunderstood about this when he says blessed are, are you... Um, who are poor. People have understood this to be that mean that poverty is a virtue. Poverty is not a virtue. Being hungry doesn't make you um, more spiritual or more blessed. And Jesus is driving his point home that we are not to live with a this-worldly perspective. That's his overall point. Because our treasure is in heaven. If we're hungry now, if we're poor now, if we're weeping now, there is a reward that is coming uh, for us, that awaits us. And so I think when he says in verse 20, in terms of poverty, he's talking about a poverty of spirit. In other words, a willingness to give up everything for the sake of Christ. A humility and a trust, a humility and a meekness that comes with trust in Christ rather than boldly trying to control your own destiny, boldly trying to, to uh, shape your own life. There's a, when he talks about poverty, he's talking about a humility. For instance, King David, who arguably was the most was the richest man in all Israel. In Psalm 86, 1, he prays, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. This rich king has an attitude of being impoverished and needy. 
Again, some have believed that there's virtue in poverty or living a poor lifestyle. That's not what this beatitude's saying. You know, these monks who have taken a vow of poverty are not any more holy and blessed than a Christian who is a millionaire. And I can't believe I'm actually using this illustration. I couldn't have imagined that this, this would have even ever come up. Kanye West and Kim Kardashian, it appears, have entered into that blessed poverty of spirit that Jesus Christ is talking about here in this beatitude. If you, if you don't know, if you're not up with popular culture, apparently Kanye West has become a Christian. And Kim Kardashian, and there seems to be fruit. So, um, take it for what you will. But with their riches, I'm using them as an illustration that they have learned this poverty of spirit that Christ is calling us to, that Christ blesses. Verse 21, blessed are you who are hungry now. Again, this hunger is a metaphor for spiritual hunger. Malnutrition is not um, a spiritual virtue. Jesus is speaking of a hunger that will not be satisfied here in this world by anything in this life. The Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he says here, blessed are you who are hungry now. When you're hung, he uses this, this metaphor of hunger because it's an all controlling desire. You know, when you're hungry, you've got to eat. That's all you can think about. It's not a passing desire. You know, people who have a passing desire for Christ only at Christmas or at Easter, they are not experiencing the hunger that Jesus is talking about here in verse 21. The hunger and the thirst that Christ is talking about. Psalm 42 verse 1, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. It's a hunger a thirst that will not be satisfied until it is filled. And it won't be satisfied with a cheap imitation. The woman at the well, Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus, after he had uh, fed the 5,000 on the Sea of Galilee, the next day they followed him around the lake. And he told them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In other words, Jesus Christ can only truly satisfy a soul that was created for eternity. He is the only one who is able to satisfy a soul that is created to belong to God. And then again in verse 21, Blessed are you who weep now. This is not a generic grief. Christians are not called to be gloomy people. We are not more holy when we are gloomy. 
John 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Philippians 4, verse 4. Paul says, rejoice. Or rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. We do weep now. We weep over our spiritual inadequacies. We weep over our sins. We weep over our self-centeredness. We see that within our soul that grieves us. And we weep. We also weep over our our, our nation, our society. So many people passing into eternity without God. So godless. We weep over the sins of our nation. Abortion. And we could go on and on. We weep over our loved ones who are passing into eternity without God. But then when we get to eternity, there will be no more weeping. Every tear will be wiped from our eyes. We shall laugh with joy because of God's grace and His mercy to sinners like us. And then to to continue on, verses 22 and 23. Blessed are you when people hate you. When they exclude you. When they revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Again, this is a spiritually driven hatred. We're, we're hated not because we're hateful people, but we're hated on account of Jesus. On account of the Son of Man. We're hated for the sake of the gospel. But then he says in verse 23, Rejoice in that day. That day is he's speaking of eternity. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. And then real quickly with the four woes. Verse 21, he said, or 24, he says, Woe to you who are rich. These four woes are things that the world trusts in. Things that, um, that they desire and pursue. But these things bring them into judgment. That's why, God, why Jesus pronounces woe upon them. The rich, the rich trust in their wealth. They think that they have all they need. Therefore, they do not fully trust God and rely upon Him. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, Paul said, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or prideful, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God created us to be dependent upon Him, to trust in Him, to rely upon Him. And when the rich are relying on their money, he says in verse 24 that they've already received their consolation. All that they are going to get, they're receiving in this life, they are getting nothing in eternity. And then verse 25, Woe to you who are full now, Woe to you who laugh now. The ones who are full now, 
These are the ones who are satisfied in terms of the world. They are content with things that will not and cannot satisfy a soul. But they're content, they try to content with themselves with these things and they mosey into hell with a foolish grin on their face. Kind of like that grin that we're going to have on about 1.30 on uh, Thursday afternoon, you know, after we've eaten the turkey. We're satisfied. We've got our be- hands on our belly about to drift off. Satisfied in a stupor of, of, of uh, fullness of turkey that in a few hours we'll be hungering again. People are passing into eternity every day not realizing that they are trying to satisfy themselves with things that will not satisfy. He says, "Uh, You who are full now, you shall be hungry. You who laugh now, you shall mourn and weep. And so what he's doing here in verse 25 is he is describing eternity without God. A person who seeks after only worldly desires, desires to fill in the emptiness of their soul that will pass away and those desires will remain. There will be, when you get to hell, no satisfaction, nothing to fill those desires. I mean, that's an unthinkable thought. To have these desires that are so powerful here in this life. And then you get into eternity without Christ. You go to hell and for eternity you have these desires that will never be filled, never be satiated and quenched. Unstoppable frustration will mark the existence of all who pass into hell without Christ. There will be a relentless an unyielding mourning and sorrow that will fill their hearts for eternity. And then going on to verse 26, Jesus says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. The desire to be popular and well-liked is a powerful temptation, but it's also a slavery Because you live your life trying to please everybody else. You live your life trying to manipulate people into liking you, into not being angry with you, into not being disappointed with you. How do you avoid it? Seek God's approval, flee from the temptation to be a man pleaser. Flee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask Him daily, help me to worship you. Help me to make what you think and your truth more important than what other people think about me. In conclusion, this world has its rewards. But they're temporary. They're displeasing to God. They're enslaving. God offers you something better. He offers you His Son. 
Jesus Christ is the pearl of great price. He is the living water that truly quenches spiritual thirst. He is the bread of heaven that feeds us till we want no more. He is our wisdom from God, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. When we find our rest in Him, our soul finds rest indeed. What are you going to choose? What are you going to live for? There's two ways of life. A way that ends in woe and judgment. And a way that ends in life and blessedness. Take the eternal perspective by casting your trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I ask that we all, as disciples of Jesus Christ, would live with eternity as our priority, because Christ is our priority. And Lord, I pray that if there are any here who do not know the Lord Jesus, Lord, head them off, turn them to Christ, don't let them enter into eternity a Christless eternity that is full of emptiness, frustration, sorrow, and mourning. I ask this through Christ. Amen.